Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. He was following the Lord and there in his last days, so to speak, lived out in Egypt. Jacob probably was more on fire for the Lord than he had ever been his entire life. And that made a difference with those who, were sur- those who surrounded him, those who came into contact with him. It made an impact on him. I think that's just a good reminder for all of us. Where you live, who you interact with, whether it be coworkers or, or family members who may not share the same beliefs that you do, people are watching. If the people in your life, your family, your friends, coworkers, were surveyed regarding you, what would they say? Would they remark on your visible faith and the way you reflect your Savior? Sadly for many of us, some of the people in our lives may be completely unaware of our faith. They may even be surprised to find out that we call ourselves a follower of Jesus. As Pastor James will challenge us in today's message, make the presence of Christ obvious in your life. Don't hide the hope that He's given you. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Genesis chapter 50 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Genesis chapter 50, that's where we're at today, believe it or not. We get to tie up the kind of the loose ends concerning the story, this little journey that we've been walking through. And really, I mean, you know, the original manuscripts of, the, uh, of Genesis, there's no like chapter breaks. There's no, there's no verses. I hope you know that. Like there's no numbers. There's no chapters. It's just one book. It's like one kind of letter. And Moses is really the guy who's writing this as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to the children of Israel who are in Egypt, well, actually, they probably are out of Egypt at this point in time when he's, you know, writing this book. And um, so chapter 15, chapter 14, I mean, it just follows, the story just continues on, okay? So look at verse 1. It says, then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. So obviously, that is a direct connection to chapter 49 with his dad taking his last breath. And this had a tremendous effect, probably not just on Joseph, but really we're focusing primarily in on him. So it's Jacob, you know, kind of tucks his feet back into the bed and just peacefully breathes his last breath. And that is, that's like the way to go, right? I mean, if you got a choice, that's the way to do it. Number one, in bed, that's kind of sweet, right? You're relaxed, you're comfortable, and it's just peaceful. But the reality comes crashing down pretty hard on, on Joseph himself. He's enjoyed these, uh, this time that he's had with his dad in the, you know, being reunited to him, but now dad's gone. And, and this is the end of uh, really the patriarchs, so to speak. I mean, Jacob was like the last representation of the patriarchs in the book of Genesis. And now he's gone. And so Joseph, he, he falls on his father's face. I mean, he's just, he's mourning the loss of his dad. He, he's weeping over him. Uh, you know, just these, these signs of affection towards his father. Joseph was certainly an emotional, not in a bad way, but a, a healthy, emotional man, displaying what would be normal and natural for anybody. You lose a loved one, it's normal to mourn the loss of someone like that. But Joseph kind of just steps right in. He has been designated somewhat of the leader of his brothers, for sure, And I think his dad did that 
because Joseph is a leader. He's a leader. And so dad passes away, and Joseph is immediately like right on it. Verse 2, and Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So it's going to like preserve his dad's body, so to speak. So the physicians embalmed Israel, right? So they started the procedure, verse 3, 40 days were required for it, for it was, uh, for that is how many uh, are required, days are required for the embalming, and the Egyptians, the Egyptians wept for him 70 days. There's not like, I mean, we know a little bit concerning this, this whole embalming um, process, uh, some of it still kind of remains a mystery to this day, but there, 40 days it takes for these guys to, uh, to do this. For the Egyptians, this whole process, for them, I mean, and they had it down to a science, but it, still the process itself is going to take 40 days. What's fascinating about this whole thing is the end of verse 3. And the Egyptians wept for him or mourned for him for 70 days. This is the Egyptians. This isn't speaking of his sons and his grandchildren, his daughters-in-law, or, or anything like that. They were going to mourn for him as well, but this is the Egyptians. Uh, and there's three things to note concerning this. Um, number one, they're going to weep for him because of his connection to Joseph. Joseph is like the, is second in command over their entire nation. Joseph was used to not only save Israel, but to save Egypt as well. Because if, if they didn't have Joseph there with this, uh, this tremendous drought that had hit the land, I mean, they were as good as gone as well. So Joseph being there by the providence of God saved them too. And so they, through their connection with Joseph, they're, they're displaying the sign of uh, respect for Jacob as well. Uh, and so much so that the, the normal mourning period for somebody who's royalty was 72 days. So this is just two days short of what they would be doing if it were Pharaoh himself who had passed away. That's like tremendous. That is, uh, that's high regard for, not just for Joseph, but that's, uh, that's also high regard for the man Jacob as well. Tremendous, tremendous thing. So he was greatly honored. Jacob himself was greatly honored there in Egypt. Uh, and I think there's a lot to be said about that as well concerning us today. Um, you might be thinking, well, we don't live in Egypt. No, physically, yeah, I get it as far as the, the nation and you know, all that stuff. But uh, throughout the scriptures, Egypt is always a representation of the world. And when your time comes to an end here in this world, uh, I think there's something to be said about, well, how does the world itself respond to your passing away? Now, you may not have like a big platform or anything like that, but you have a circle, a sphere of influence with neighbors and even family members who may not know the Lord at all, but what do they, how would they react or respond when your time comes to an end? Will it be one of celebration? I hope not, right? Like, woo, finally, right? Like, finally, that person's gone. No, you don't want that. You would want them to, uh, you would kind of want them to respond just like our, most of our world did when Billy Graham passed away. I mean, all of us were probably familiar with him. I mean, tremendous man of God. One of my heroes, I mean, I've looked up to that guy for, for a long time now. He passed away on my birthday, which was kind of a bummer in one sense, but I mean, he was also 99 years old and 
I mean, he had ran his race. Like the dude, if nobody was more ready to go to heaven, I don't think, than Billy Graham himself on that day. But I pulled up all these quotes of like, you know, what everybody's saying about, you know, the, lo- the loss of Billy Graham. And I mean, on, and just Twitter was, you know, kind of blowing up with, you know, anybody and everybody from obviously President Trump had something to say, Obama had something to say, Jimmy Carter had something to say. Like he had influence on all like, you know, with a lot of our presidents. I mean, because he served the Lord for that long. Um, but not just with those guys, but with uh, celebrities and athletes. Everybody was, you know, just dropping messages of like, man, that guy was great. That guy was tremendous. Even if they don't stand on the same page with him and agreeing with everything that he had to say, a lot of people were saying, what a great guy. What a great guy. And a lot of what I saw in just concerning, you know, individuals who had like that celebrity quote unquote status was that guy lived what he believed. That guy lived what he believed. Anybody he ever had over, you know, overlap with in their lives, they all said the exact same thing. He didn't just talk about it, he lived it. And whether it be celebrities or, you know, um, politicians or even just uh, leaders globally, a lot of people had a lot of good to say about him. And the world, in a sense, mourned the loss of a man of God, a man of God, who was really just a humble guy, um, who was a humble guy. But that's kind of what happens here with Jacob. Jacob passes away in Egypt. The nation mourns him for 70 days. 70 days they're going to mourn the loss of this godly man, a godly man. And we've walked through Genesis. We've seen the ups and downs of Jacob's life. We know, I mean, he's not like a perfect man, but you don't have to be a perfect individual. He was following the Lord, and there in his last days, so to speak, lived out in Egypt Jacob probably was more on fire for the Lord than he had ever been his entire life. And that made a difference with those who, were sur- those who surrounded him, those who came into contact with him. It made an impact on him. I think that's just a good reminder for all of us. Where you live, who you interact with, whether it be coworkers or, or family members who may not share the same beliefs that you do, people are watching. So uh, don't just talk about what you believe in, live out what you believe in. Live about what you believe in. So there's the mourning period concerning, concerning uh, Egypt. Verse 4, when the days of weeping for, her, for him, Jacob, were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, if now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, or go before Pharaoh for me, saying, my father made me swear, saying, I'm about to die in my tomb that I've that I hewed uh, out for myself in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father. Then I will return. So this is Joseph. Again, just a tremendous man. I mean, he's second in command to Pharaoh. He could go in and speak to Pharaoh if he wanted to. He had the right to kind of stand beside Pharaoh. But out of respect and reverence for who Pharaoh is, he's going to ask for his permission. He doesn't necessarily have to. But this is, who Jake, this is who Joseph is. He's a man of character. And he knows that Pharaoh is in charge. Pharaoh is his boss, although Pharaoh has entrusted to Joseph everything within his kingdom. Out of respect, he's going to go before him and say, hey, is it OK? My dad asked me to bury him in a, in a tomb that he had purchased for himself. 
where my grandfather is buried, uh, where my great-grandfather is buried. Is it okay with you if I take him and we bury him there? And I'll come back. I'll be back. I just love that. That's class. That's class. That's that thing of just, he doesn't have to, but he's going to. Just out of respect, he's going he's gonna to ask permission. And that's what he does. Pharaoh, of course, is gonna, he's gonna, of course he's going to let him go. Uh, verse, verse 6, it says, And Pharaoh answered, Go up, bury your father, as he has made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders in the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. Like this, so this is what's incredible about this. Joseph goes to Pharaoh and asks, he's like, hey, is it cool if, um, if I go with my brothers to go bury our dad? And Pharaoh's like, absolutely, absolutely. Hey, don't worry. Hey, we'll go with you. And when he, essentially, Pharaoh is not going to go with him. He's going to stay back. But everybody who is big time within the rule and reign of Egypt goes along with these guys for this funeral. That's incredible. Again, sig- signifying how much respect and honor Joseph himself had in the land of Egypt. So you have this huge funeral procession leaving Egypt and going into the land of Canaan. This is all for one guy. Basically, this is for the burial of Jacob. So here comes, you know, uh, what, what a ragtag group, right? Like you got all these uh, Israelites, basically, and you have all these Egyptians just on a road trip together to go bury one guy. And the, the natives, so to speak, in the, in the land of Canaan are going to take note of this because this is certainly a sight to see. This is verse 9. And there went up with them both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company, not just in number, but in significance, okay? But when they came to the threshing floor of Atad, uh, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father for seven days. So an entire week is spent there at this threshing floor. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor uh, of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Now, they just recognize it as like, because there's probably so many Egyptians and they see the chariots, and they see all this stuff, and they're like, man, why are all these Egyptians doing in our land? <laughs> like, what's this, what's this funeral procession about? And they take note of it. They take note of it. Uh, there's not many funerals that are kind of uh, mentioned within the word. I mean, there are, clearly are some significant ones um, that, that are mentioned, but none have been given so much detail and attention like Jacob's, like his. Uh, I would say his is you know, next only to Jesus's burial details, okay, in that sense, as far as significance goes, you don't get better than Jesus's funeral, so to speak, although it wasn't really a funeral. Yes, he did die, but he came back, so, you know, um, but next to that one, I mean, this funeral procession and, and everything concerning Jacob, it's huge. It's huge. Therefore, I mean, it's so big that they even changed the name of the place, like they changed the name of the town. They're like, it used to be called this, now it's going to be called this. Therefore, the place was named uh, uh, Ebel Mizraim, which is beyond the Jordan. Thus the sons did, uh, did for him, did for Jacob as he commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave 
of the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from um, Ephron, the Hittite, to possess as a burial or as a burying place. Okay, so this all the way dates back into this deal that Abraham had made, rightfully purchasing part of the promised land there, which was going to be used for just a burial plot. And this is where they end up. They're back there at their rightful place. They have the right to be there, and they have the right to bury their dead there, okay? Verse 14, after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. So they buried Jacob. This is all done. They head back to Egypt, and all is good. It's not. Because what, Je what Joseph has probably no clue about is that with his brothers, I would assume with the exception of probably Benjamin and maybe Judah, but with his brothers, what Joseph has no clue of is the fact that they really haven't dealt with you know, their issue of how they wronged Joseph many years ago. See, for Joseph, he forgave them. He forgave them for their wrong, and he moved on. The brothers never moved on. They never moved on. Look at what happens immediately, immediately when all this stuff is done. Verse 15 says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, they're having this little conference with each other, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Dad's gone. Dad's dead. And immediately fear creeps back into their hearts and their minds. Because they have a conference immediately. And they say, oh no, this isn't good for us. Because now dad, dad has been our protection, is, is what they've assumed. Dad has been our protection, and that now he's out of the picture. Joseph can do to us whatever he wants. So what do they do? I believe, I believe they make up a story. I believe they start acting like their dad in the way that he acted many years ago when he was known as Jacob, the deceiver. I mean, look at what they do. They, they, they conspire another plan. These guys, anytime these guys get together to figure something out, it's not good, okay? We know that because the last time they did this concerning Joseph, he ended up in a pit and then sold as a slave. Now they're conspiring together to figure out how can we what? How can you manipulate Joseph? Your brother? That's what they're doing ultimately. Verse 18, or 16, I'm sorry. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father, your father, not our, not our father, okay? You got to know the verbiage there. No, your, your father, your father gave, uh, gave this command before he died. Uh, he told us this before he died. Oh, yeah, when, when did that happen? Oh, it was just before he died. No, but like when? What time? What day? No, it just trust us. It happened. He said it. He said it. Well, I was with him up until the very end. When did he say this? No, 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 no. Just trust us. No, I don't. I'm not going to trust. If you're one of his sons, I'm sorry. I'm, if you're not Joseph, I'm not trusting any one of you guys. Like, no, what? No, you remember your dad? Your dad? He told us this before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. 
They're like, I remember, you know, I don't know if you knew this, but this is what dad told us to tell you. You know, when you stepped out to go to the bathroom, he said this to us before he died. He's like, what? But this is what's been playing within the back of their minds for many years, for so long. They have never been able to move past this moment within their lives. And I think, I think this rings true within a lot of believers today. The reason why we read Romans 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, is because so many people are like in self-imposed prisons because you don't believe what he said. You don't believe what he says. That's ultimately what it boils down to. We lock ourselves in prisons because we don't believe what God says, period. That may sound offensive, but I'm telling you the truth. And I say that because I experienced that far too often within my own life. How did I get back in this prison cell? The door's not locked. The door's never locked because Jesus broke all the locks, okay? But the cage is still there, and we crawl back into it, and we hold, this, we hold the, the cell door closed because we don't believe what he says. That's the truth. And you may be like, no, 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 I do believe it. No, I'm gonna, I'll tell you this. Then I don't believe it all the time then I don't believe it all the time. If that hurts your feelings, then I don't. Because what he has said is true. What he has said is true. Joseph had a moment with his brothers when it was forgiven. It was forgiven. And what he said was true. What he said was absolutely true. It was so true that Joseph moved on from it. That's how true it was. As far as the East is from the West, Joseph moved on. And he lived his life, what? In freedom. In freedom. His brothers never did. Their entire time spent in Egypt, they always had this cloud over their heads because they didn't believe what he said. You always want to be on a side like Joseph. If God has forgiven you for your sins, you need to understand theologically that means past, present, and future. Because you're going to keep sinning. You're going to keep blowing it. You're going to keep messing up. That's just how it goes, okay? That's how it goes. There will be, there will be a time when you stop sinning. That will be also the time you leave this earth, okay? So you won't be on this planet anymore. You'll be in the presence of, you won't be sinning anymore. So if that's a big deal to you, don't worry. Your time will come eventually. However, you should get really comfortable with the fact that if he said he has forgiven you for your sins, past, present, and future, you should just run in with that. You should just be good with that. Does that mean that we never have to confess? No, listen, it's a relationship. So when I do mess up, and I do, I go to him in repentance asking for forgiveness. The forgiveness is there, but because I love him and I have a relationship with him, I acknowledge when I've blown it and say, Lord, I messed up. Will you please forgive me? Of course he forgives because he has forgiven past, present, and future. It's covered. The slate has been wiped clean. Hopeless, hopeless, 
The beginning of the world has been a hotly contested topic for some time now, and the debate has caused many to dig deeper into their origin. The simplest answer is often the one that's correct. Our world and everything in it was molded and placed in its orbit by a supreme being, God. The account of this beginning and the first people to walk the earth is recorded for us in the pages of the Bible, in the book of Genesis. God's authority over nature and humankind has been evident from the start. He simply spoke and all took shape. God formed people to inhabit this beautiful planet, to care for it and for each other. Pastor James Grizzle has been taking the time to share God's plan for life from the pages of Genesis. And we hope you'll tune in again to continue the story. If you missed any part of today's message on Bread for the Broken, don't worry. You can find it now on our website, breadforthebroken.com. Listen through all of Pastor James' teachings that we've made available there, and feel free to share them with any friends or family you think would find it helpful. That website again is breadforthebroken.com. We're so glad you chose to spend time with us today, and we want you to know that we're keeping you in our prayers every time we produce another edition of this program. Each edition of Bread for the Broken is made with our listeners in mind. And we want to make sure our Creator is the first one we're all turning to. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Bread for the Broken. It's our prayer that every listener finds hope and new life in Jesus.